As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds, it was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learned something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just 348 With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Bases Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Wednesday to one and all. Welcome into the Zuni to Kill Studios from OB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson taking you through another great podcast and helping me do so. Christian Pina, you may know him from the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. He hosts Inside Vegas. Terrific handicapper doing a little bit of everything from baseball to UFC to NFL futures, everything like that. He's going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to talk a little bit about strikeout props. We're going to be looking at today's card, and we're just going to talk baseball in general and finding value. That's going to be great. In the final segment, I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all. This is the part of the podcast where I always answer your Twitter questions, and if you ever have one, feel free to tweet it in at GNRSquarty1. I do not answer DMs. My DM policy is one in which it is a black hole. If you send a DM, you're never going to see it again. I will never see it. It all just gets deleted. But if you send it into the timeline, always will be answered. And we did not get any Twitter and we did not get any Twitter questions today. That means that we've got to take a look back at yesterday's results, try to find some trends, and try to become better handicappers from it. What trends should you pay attention to? Well, Greg is going to tell you what he has on the black. There was a double dip out in Arlington as the LA Angels and the Texas Rangers did battle for two. 
In the first one, it was the LA Angels being able to get out to a 5-0 lead over the Texas Rangers, and they won this one by a count of 5-1. This was an Angels team that had played 12 out of their last 14 games to the over, and both these games went under, by the way, as Andrew Heaney was terrific in his start. Eight innings pitch, he gives up one run. That one run was a sole home run. Being able to get that one for the Texas Rangers was Willie Calhoun, his 12th, as Joe Palumbo wound up not giving good, a good start. He winds up going... One and two-thirds innings, giving up three runs, all of which were earned, including a home run. Phillips Valdez took over for him from there. He winds up giving up a home run himself, giving up two runs in three and two-thirds innings. But all in all, for the Texas Rangers, they wind up going a total of seven and a third innings, giving up two runs out of the bullpen. So clearly a good sign there is for the Angels. Mike Trout was able to go deep in the first inning, his 42nd of the campaign, and Luis Rangifo, his fifth. So they clearly did their job there as the Texas Rangers just weren't able to muster anything off of Andrew Heaney. The Rangers didn't muster a lot of offense in Game 2 as well, but they were able to get the 3-2 win as they got a very good start from Brock Burke, who was getting his first career start. He winds up going six innings in this one, not giving up a single run. From there, the bullpen of Sean Kelly and Jose LeClerc wind up giving up a run apiece as the bullpen in general still was good in this one five innings pitch. They give up two runs, and for the Texas Rangers, they were able to get an unlikely home run as well as there was a whole bunch of young guys taking over for the Texas Rangers as Nick Solak gets his first home run of the year, and I believe his first of his career as Jaime Barilla for the LA Angels. Not a bad start, five innings pitch. He gives up two runs, both of which were including that home run. From there, the bullpen of the Angels winds up going five and two-thirds innings. They allowed just the one run that allowed the Rangers to win the game, and it was an unearned run as Albert Pools booted a ground ball, and that allowed the Texas Rangers to win the game. So easy come, easy go there. And for the Texas Rangers, this is a team that has been highly profitable at home. On the road, they have been a little bit of a hot mess, but are 10 games over 500 at home, and they have played 13 out of their last 20 games to the under, so they've been a little bit of an under team recently. The Chicago Cubs have been a team that has won a lot at home, and now they are 42-19 and at the friendly confines as they take down the San Francisco Giants by a count of 5-3. Tyler Beattie entered into this start having given up four earned runs or more in each of his last five starts. He only gave up three in this one, but that's because he only lasted four innings, and all three runs were off of solo home runs. As for the Cubs, Anthony Rezzo goes deep twice in this one. His 24th and 25th of the year. Nick Cassianos is 7th, and that caused the Giants to have to give a lot of innings out of the bullpen. They go four innings, giving up two runs, both of which were earned. This is a Giants team with the second-best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues, but they seem to be regressing a little bit. But the Giants also score right around 5.3-ish runs per game on the road compared to about 3.3, 3.4 at home. But in this one, they were able to get two home runs, but they didn't have any men on, which really hurt them. Kevin Pillar is 18th of the year and Austin Slater his fifth as getting the start for the Cubs was Cole Hamels. He winds up giving up both those home runs and didn't look great but certainly was not awful. Six innings pitch he gives up three runs and a Cubs bullpen which has been much maligned recently winds up being terrific in this one. They go a combined three innings giving up one hit. No one runs. Craig Kimbrell is back in the fold. He was able to get the save so that was a very welcome sign for Cubbies fans. A very welcome sign for Baltimore Orioles fans was being a favorite and being able to win as a favorite as the Kansas City Royals were only able to muster one run on the Baltimore Orioles. 4-1 to one the final as the Orioles get a terrific start out of Dylan Bundy. Seven innings pitch, he gives up one run and then the bullpen goes the final two innings without giving up a run. And for the Orioles, they entered into the eighth inning with this game tied at one. Hanser Alberto, the hero, he gets a three-run home run, his eighth of the campaign. And for the Kansas City Royals, Brad Keller gave once again a terrific start. Six innings pitch, gives up no earned runs. He only won 79 pitches. I find it very intriguing that he got pulled after that. And then the Royals 
bullpen gives up four runs in two innings. That's a Royals bullpen that was looking a little bit improved, but you take a look at the Royals. 11 out of their last 15 games have gone under the total. By the way, this was just the sixth game all year long in which the Baltimore Orioles were a favorite. The Pittsburgh Pirates certainly have not been a favorite recently as they entered into Tuesday's action 7-27 and since the All-Star break, but they managed to get a 4-1 to win over the Washington Nationals thanks to a four spot in the eighth inning, and that was highlighted by a Sterling Barté home run, his 22nd of the year. That came off of the awful Washington Nationals bullpen, and Steven Strasburg was tremendous. He goes seven innings. Doesn't give up a single run. The bullpen in one inning screwed it all up. They give up four runs in an inning. This is the Washington Nationals bullpen. That ranks in the bottom three in regards to ERA. And they're currently without John Doolittle, who's doing very little for betters. And doing very little on this day was Washington Nationals offense. They had scored 43 runs in their last three games. They get one run on six hits in this one. It's for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Chris Archer, he didn't give up a run in his start. He only went one inning as well as the bullpen of the Pirates. A combined eight innings, giving up one run. Tip of the cap there. You wouldn't expect guys like Clay Holmes and Michael Felice to be able to cobble things together, but the Pittsburgh Pirates were able to get the job done. And in all honesty, Chris Archer only going one inning, probably a good thing for the Pittsburgh Pirates with the way that he's pitched this year. The New York Mets have been getting a lot of good pitching recently, though, and they take down the Cleveland Indians by kind of 9-2. The Mets have the best record since the All-Star breakout there in the big leagues, and they got two big home runs in this one. Michael Conforto is 27th of the year, and J.D. Davis is 15th. Those both came off of one Shane Bieber as he went six innings, gave up four runs, only two of which were earned. He was hurt by a pair of errors out there in the field, and this has happened to the Indians quite a bit recently, so you do want to note that. And then in Indians bullpen, which has the top ERA out there in the big leagues, they give up five runs at two innings. That was very unexpected, but the Mets bullpen has been much improved. They wind up getting a great start out of Steven Mads. Six of third innings, gives up two runs, only one of which was earned. He was hurt by a Todd Frazier error, but two and two-thirds innings from the bullpen. They give up just one hit, no earned runs. This involves guys like Paul Sewald and Luis Aviline that are pitching well, so it's really heartening to see the New York Mets being able to do this, and for the Cleveland Indians, a lone bright spot in this one, a Jason Kipnis two-run home run, his 13th of the campaign. For the Philadelphia Phillies, they were able to play an under in Boston. That's easier said than done, as the Red Sox, the second-best over team at home this year, and the best over team overall going into Tuesday. 3-2 to two the final in this one. The Philadelphia Phillies, by the way, they rank in the bottom six of the major leagues in regards to runs per game since the All-Star break, but they were able to get just enough in this one as they went 3 of 8 with Ben in scoring position, and they got a terrific start from Aaron Nola. Seven innings pitch, he gives up two runs, both of which were earned. Over his last 14 starts, he's got an ERA that's hovering right around a 2-1, so he has been great. And then the bullpen from there, which has actually been right around the top 10 in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break with regards to ERA, goes two innings, give up no hits, no earned runs for the Boston Red Sox. Brian Johnson has expected to not go long, and he gave up all three of these runs in three and two-thirds innings. From there, the Boston Red Sox bullpen was actually pretty good, and this is a Red Sox bullpen that has looked better recently. They're right around 10th of the big leagues with regards to bullpen ERA. They go a combined five and a third innings. They give up no earned runs, and they give up just one hit, but the lone bright spot for the Boston Red Sox, aside from that bullpen, Jackie Bradley Jr., his 15th home run of the year. This is a guy that has struggled mightily, so maybe that gets him back on track, but the offense was not working on this night. The Seattle Mariners, the other best over team out there in the big leagues to the Boston Red Sox. They had their offense working on Tuesday and they get another win by a kind of 7-4. This is a team that has been a plus 150 or greater underdog in each of their last four games and they have won each of the last four as for the Seattle Mariners. A pair of home runs in this one. Thomas Murphy is 16th of the year. Kyle Seager is 17th. Matt Whistler wound up being the opener and he's actually been a very good opener for the Seattle Mariners. I will say that. Tommy Malone gives up four runs in five innings. He's given up four runs or more in 
I believe, six out of his last eight bulk appearance, but the Seattle Mariners bullpen all of a sudden has emerged. They go three innings from there, not giving up a single run. And then for the Tampa Bay Rays, Jalen Beeks was a bulk guy, and things didn't necessarily go well for him. Diego Castillo was the opener. He winds up giving up two runs. Jalen Beeks goes five innings, gives up four runs. Now, only two of which were earned, but things didn't necessarily go well for him either as the Tampa Bay Rays weren't able to get a home run. Three of 12 with men in scoring position. They have been one of the worst teams in the big leagues with regards to leaving men on base, and it clearly showed through here. The San Diego Padres wind up going to Cincinnati and getting beat by a count of 3-2 to two for the Padres. Cal Quantrill continues to give some good starts. He winds up giving up three runs in six innings in this one. He entered with his last six appearances. In those appearances, he had a 139 ERA, so he's still been doing a solid job. Nine strikeouts. He did give up a home run and going deep for the Cincinnati Reds. Freddie Galvis, his third with the team, is 21st overall, and you got to give it up to Sonny Gray. Continues to be magnificent. Six innings pitch, gives up just one run. That one run was a solo home run, as being able to get that for the Padres was Josh Naylor. That is his seventh of the campaign, but for the Reds, this is a team that their bullpen ever since the beginning of June has been in the bottom ten in the big leagues with regards to ERA. And this one, they were pretty solid. They wind up going three innings. Amir Garrett did give up, up a run, but that was an under run. He was hurt by Jose Iglesias' error, so the Cincinnati Reds were able to do their job, and the Atlanta Braves certainly did their job against the Miami Marlins, getting a 5-1 to win. Last time Dallas Keuchel faced the Miami Marlins, he gave up eight earned runs. In this one, he gives up one earned run in six innings, as that one run that the Miami Marlins were able to scratch across. A John Birdie home run is fourth of the year in the Atlanta Braves. Bottom five bullpen in the big leagues ever since the trading deadline with regards to ERA. They wind up going a combined three innings. They don't give up a single run, so they certainly did their job. And for the Atlanta Braves, two home runs in this one, and they were both provided by the Freeman. Freddie Freeman, his 32nd and 33rd of the year. Eliza Hernandez winds up giving a good start for the Marlins. He just didn't give a lot of length for innings pitch. He gives up one run. Then he turned it over to a bullpen of the Marlins, which has been pretty bad recently, and it continues to be. Four innings pitch. They give up four runs, only two of which were earned. They were also hurt by an error. It felt like it was a... Big theme from Tuesday in which teams were just hurt by errors as the Miami Marlins were unable to take that one down. If you had the run line in Arizona versus Colorado, you were also hurt by an error. The Arizona Diamondbacks win this game by a count of 8-7 to seven as Kyle Freeland just continues to not look right. He winds up going five and a third innings. He gave up five runs, but only three of which were earned, so he was certainly hurt by some errors there. And then from there, you had the bullpen going in there for the Colorado Rockies for three and two-thirds innings. They gave up three runs, all of which were earned. The Colorado Rockies had the worst bullpen ERA ever since the All-Star break. It's been absolutely atrocious, but they were able to get a home run out of Nolan Arenado's 31st of the year. That was off of Alex Young, who gave a pretty decent start for the years in the Diamondbacks. Six innings pitch, he gives up three runs. Then from there, the Diamondbacks bullpen goes three innings. They give up four runs. Only one of which was earned as they were hurt by errors, which is why you blew that run line for the errors and the Diamondbacks. And for the Diamondbacks, they were able to get one big hit in this one. Nick Ahmad, his 17th home run of the year. The Chicago White Sox have been a team that has notoriously been hurt by errors this year. And it wouldn't have mattered if they would have had one error or 20, as in this one. The Minnesota Twins just clobbered them for two touchdowns. 14-4 to the final in this one as... Rinaldo Lopez winds up going six innings. He gives up seven runs, but once again, only three were earned as he was hurt by a pair of errors by the White Sox as the bullpen from there for the White Sox, which has been rock solid this year. I've been noting how good it's been. They give up seven runs in two innings. Needless to say, that's going to be an ERA booster for them. For the White Sox, your brightest 
spots were the fact that you got Tim Anderson going deep for his 13th home run of the year and Jose Abreu, who's 28th. Those both came off of Michael Pineda, who earlier in the year on this podcast was called Michael Pineda, but he's been pretty solid. This one, not necessarily his best outing, gives up four runs in seven innings, but the bullpen from there for the Minnesota Twins, which has not been doing well recently ever since the trade deadline itself, winds up giving up no runs, no hits, and two innings. And for the Minnesota Twins, 9 of 14 is what they hit with men in scoring position, and they got a trio of home runs themselves. Jorge Polanco is 19th of the year. Nelson Cruz is 33rd. And Max Kepler is 34th. So, needless to say, a vulgar display of power there. The Milwaukee Brewers have not been showing a lot of power recently. And they are on a big skid as they wind up losing to the St. Louis Cardinals by a count of 9-4. Brewers have now lost 6 out of their last 8. And the Cardinals entered into this game having played 13 out of their last 16 games to the under. And the reason why this game went over is because Brewers pitching walked in 3 different runs as Gio Gonzalez was terrific as a starter for the Brewers. He winds up going five innings, gives up just one earned run. This game went into the top of the sixth inning with it one to zero Cardinals. And then from there, you had just a absolute explosion of hitting. The Milwaukee Brewers go four of nine with men in scoring position. And the Brewers bullpen over three innings gives up eight runs, all of which were earned. Jeremy Jeffries doesn't give an, get an out. He gives up three runs. Matt Elbers gives up for himself. Just an absolute you-know-what show from the Milwaukee Brewers pitching once again. As for the St. Louis Cardinals, they left 10 men on base. They won 4-14 with men in scoring position, but they just kept getting walks. They got nine in this game. And for the Cardinals, Michael Waka didn't give a lot of length, but he was able to keep the game out in front of him. He gives up zero runs over four innings. Bullpen from there winds up giving up four runs and five innings. This for one of the top six bullpens with regards to ERA entering into this night, but the fact that the Cardinals were able to get those runs really offset that. Things were offset for the Houston Astros, even though they gave up a couple runs for the Detroit Tigers in that they just continue to have great offensive displays as they wind up getting a 6-3 win over the Detroit Tigers. The Houston Astros got five out of their six runs in the first two innings as they were able to get a trio of home runs of their own. George Springer's 27th home run of the year, Jose Altuve is 23rd, and Martin Maldonado is 8th as Spencer Turnbull just has not looked right ever since he got injured about a month and a half ago. Only goes three innings in this one, gives up five runs all of which were earned, including two home runs. From there, the Tigers' bullpen continues to be pretty good. They give up one run in five innings. That was a solo home run. And for the Detroit Tigers, they were able to get a home run off the bat of Victor Reyes. That is his first of the year. That was a leadoff home run off of Aron Sanchez as... Sanchez was out long for this game. He's a guy that if you're looking to fade someone for the Houston Astros because they're getting just enormous prices, he's probably the guy. Two and a third innings, gives up three runs off which were earned. But how about the Astros' bullpen? Six and two-thirds innings from there. They wind up giving up six hits, but they give up no earned runs. A lot of that has to do with the fact that the Detroit Tigers really struggle on offense. And if you had the over of nine in this game, the Astros leave 10 men on base and the Detroit Tigers... One of seven with men in scoring position, they leave on nine, so a little bit of a tough break there. If you had the New York Yankees, it didn't matter how the breaks were going to go. You were going to lose this one as the Oakland A's get a 6-2 win for the Yankees. Domingo Herman, who entered into Tuesday, the second most profitable pitcher out there in the big leagues, if you bet $100 on him in every start. Well, he got shelled. He wound up giving up two home runs, six runs, five of which were earned over five and two-thirds over five and a third innings. And then you had Jonathan Luizga having to get the final eight outs from there for the New York Yankees. They were able to get a pair of solo home runs. Gary Sanchez is 28th of the year and Aaron Judge is 13th as Homer Bailey 
continues to be very inconsistent for the Oakland A's, but on this night, he was terrific, giving up just that home run to Gary Sanchez. Five and two-thirds innings, he gives up one run, and then Joaquin Soria gives up a run out of the bullpen, but the Oakland A's have been doing a very good job there. As for the A's, they were able to get their home runs off the bat of Mark Canna and Matt Olson, both coming in the first inning for Canna's 19th home run of the year, and Olson is 26th as the Yankees were just buried into a big hole and they could not get out. And this game is still in progress, but this game is as good as done. The LA Dodgers are up 13-3 in the bottom of the eighth inning on the Toronto Blue Jays, and they've got men on base. So I feel very confident in being able to recap this one. It's for the Toronto Blue Jays. They actually got out to a 2-0 lead, and they got all three runs off of home runs. Derek Fisher is fifth of the year, and Bo Bichette goes deep twice. His sixth and seventh of the year, those all came off of Clayton Kershaw, but for the Dodgers, they are going to be now 18-4 and in his start six innings pitch for Kershaw. He gives up three runs, all of which were solo home runs. Bullpen from there has done their job, and for the Dodgers, they wind up getting a whole lot of power of their own. A.J. Pollock and Chris Taylor both get their ninth home runs of the year. Max Muncy is 37th. Will Smith is getting a home run every seven and a half at-bats now. His 11th of the campaign is Sean Reed Foley. Had not given up more than three earned runs in a start-slash-appearance all year long. They actually had an opener going for the Toronto Blue Jays in this one, but Reed Foley gives up five runs. He only records five outs. And then the bullpen from there for the Toronto Blue Jays has thus far, as the Dodgers just get another three runs, has now given up 11 runs over the course of four and two-thirds innings. Absolutely insane as going deep for the LA Dodgers as I'm doing this podcast. Jock Peterson getting his 25th home run of the year. So that's happening in real time. So needless to say, the Toronto Blue Jays getting absolutely crushed in this one. So let's take a look back at what we all learned from Tuesday in baseball. The Texas Rangers are playing a lot of unders and they continue to be a very profitable team at home. The Kansas City Royals are playing a whole bunch of unders and their offense has not gotten going. The Pirates continue to be very woeful since the All-Star break, but you know what? The Washington Nationals, they still need bullpen help. The New York Mets are getting some good starts out of Steven Matz and they just continue to be white hot in all facets of baseball, this even without Jeff McNeil. The Philadelphia Phillies are continuing to get great starts out of Aaron Nolan. The Boston Red Sox bullpen actually looking pretty good. The Seattle Mariners are continuing to cash it under, as underdogs. And the Tampa Bay Rays continue to be a better road team than home team. The Cincinnati Reds might be finally rectifying their bullpen issues. Meanwhile, Cale Quantrill and Sonny Gray both still giving very good starts. Perhaps Dallas Keuchel has been able to turn things around for the Atlanta Braves and the Miami Marlins. While they're just not shelling out offense in general, the Milwaukee Brewers have went ice cold and the St. Louis Cardinals are taking advantage of a Brewers bullpen that is just absolutely terrible. The San Francisco Giants are above 500 on the road, but it's no match for the Chicago Cubs, who have won nearly 70% of their games at home. Meanwhile, they are just 24 and 39 on the road. The Detroit Tigers are continuing to generate no offense. 25 out of their last 32 games, they've scored four runs or fewer in each of their last eight. The Chicago White Sox bullpen might be doing for a little bit of regression, and the Minnesota Twins just continue to rip the cover off the ball. The Colorado Rockies continue to lose at home. They have now lost 17 of their last 21 on the road. The New York Yankees have been playing a lot of overs on the road so far this year, but they have now played four straight unders away from Yankee Stadium. And, well, the L.A. Dodgers are now 49-16 and at home, and they continue to win Clayton Kershaw's starts as they are 18-4 in that regard. So that is what we all learned from Major League Baseball on Tuesday. Now let's take a look at Wednesday's slate. Let's take a look at the strikeout prop, something that I don't hit very often, but Christian Pina has been 18-3 in over his last 21 strikeout prop bets. So he's going to give us some insight there. We're going to talk about how to find value in general, and that is up next right here on MLB Overtime Betting.
Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. And we are back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in Love You, Las Vegas. It is always great to have on our next guest. This is a guy that is one of the most well-rounded handicappers that you're going to find. He does a terrific job of not just looking at the MLB slate, but he is so locked in with all of his NFL and college football futures. Does a terrific job of being able to handicap the UFC. And with baseball, he doesn't just look at sides and totals. He is absolutely magnificent when it comes to strikeout props. He's hitting right around 90% in regards to that. He has been absolutely insane with that. I believe he's 18-3 and entering into Tuesday. So, I mean, that is absolutely remarkable. And this is a man that is able to find value in just a variety of different ways. And you can also catch him on the Inside Vegas podcast. That is part of the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. And you can find this man on Twitter at Christian Pina, as it is Christian Pina. And how are you doing today, my good friend? Good, man. Love talking baseball with you. We got a lot to break in. Pretty nice slates upcoming the next couple of days in the K-Prop market and as well around the league, man. It's, you know, prospect season is definitely here. We just saw Zach Gallen throw an absolute gem again, you know, last time out. Uh, and some other guys, you know, coming up through the ranks. So it's it's probably my favorite time of baseball, despite when everyone else is kind of looking towards the NFL and NCAA futures markets, at least, if not digging in for their handicapping season as well. Oh, absolutely. I'm right there with you. And I do think that one game that is going to be very interesting with regards to the strikeout market is going to be Caleb Smith against Julio Tehran, Miami Marlins against the Atlanta Braves. Right now, if you're looking at a side and total perspective, the Atlanta Braves are right around a minus 190 favorite. And with the Marlins, you're catching about 175 to 180, somewhere in that neighborhood. But Caleb Smith, we both know, has been a very good strikeout pitcher. Do you think that there might be a little bit of value worth Miami Marlins? But I do like the way that Julio Tehran has been pitching as well. I know that he had just an absolute blow up start his last time out for the New York Mets. But all in all, he's been pretty solid. But he is a guy that does get quite a few walks. How do you see this game playing out? Because we both know that the Miami Marlins... Well, they're a little bit offensively challenged. Yeah, man, they really are. And much like the Detroit Tigers, the Miami Marlins have been a team looking to fade them against right-handed pitching. Just about the third worst percentage in the league when it comes to their K percentage against righties. As I look right now, I believe it's 27.1, good enough for third worst in the league. So, you know, despite the fact that I think that Caleb Smith is incredibly talented, I actually think the K prop makes the most sense from the other side would be, you know, Tehran going up against that Miami team. You know, really more than anything there. But when you look at this, I mean, Tehran's always been, you know, something of a notorious kind of split sky. And you can really even break this down, you know, home road. And if you look through his game log, it's kind of the most crazy thing you'll see. He kind of alternates these really bad starts and then really good starts. And it's a really weird pattern that's been there with him, you know, really forever. You know, Tehran's allowing three or less earned in four out of his last five starts. And he's also, like I said, been great at home, giving up just 23 earned over the last 62. So Smith, he plays on the Marlins. Unlike even some of the worst of the worst drugs of the league when it comes to the Orioles, when they were, you know, cashing are so profitable, all of that. Caleb Smith has really been what? I believe six and 12 to the first five market this year. So he has not gotten the job done despite how well he's pitched. So I actually think that the inverse makes more sense in the K market than Smith does. I would have to agree with you there as we do have Christian Pina joining me right here on the podcast. And I know another guy that is going to be going on Wednesday that you're very high on is Lucas Giolito. Going to be Lucas Giolito against Minnesota Twins and Jake Odorizzi. Right now, I am seeing the Chicago White Sox as about a plus 155, plus 160-ish underdog. I think that's very intriguing because the Chicago White Sox, over the last 11 days, have been cashing in quite a few tickets at a plus price. And the White Sox, we both know this ever since the All-Star break. Well, the offense really has not been there, but they've been getting some good pitching. The bullpen has been solid. 
this is a spot here where I would have to put my faith in Lucas Giolito, who's been one of the more profitable pitchers out there in the big leagues this year. He is, man. Both first five and full game. And, you know, when you can get, you know, basically the most profitable pitcher on the road in baseball uh, when it comes to incorporating price at that underdog price, I think it certainly makes a ton of sense. This season, 15 and nine in Giolito's starts overall for the White Sox. And again, most of those, especially during the season as a really, you know, huge dog, allowed three runs or fewer in four of his last five. And as you know, when it comes to the first five market, that's one of the stats that I hold highest of regard is basically three is my magic number of kind of, you know, how many times they allow either under that or over that. On the other side, yeah, I can't really make the case, man. I, I really can't in terms of, you know, I always say there's no value in a losing ticket, but I really would, you know, almost line this one the other way. And I think that there is inherently a lot, a lot of value on that plus money when it comes to Giolito, who again, since over the last three years, the most profitable road pitcher in baseball. I just highlighted an underdog that I really like for the card on Wednesday. How about a favorite that I like? For some reason, there's a lot of money coming in on the LA Angels. We saw them being able to take the first game of their double dip against the Texas Rangers, but you got Mike Miner against Patrick Sandoval. Both of us are guys that we do look at prospects and how they have value and everything like that. Patrick Sandoval, not really a guy that's been on my radar personally. He was not good with Salt Lake. In all honesty, the LA Angels pitching prospects in general, aside from Griffin Canning, who has certainly had his warts as well this year, just are not a bunch that impressed me. And yet, right now we're seeing the Texas Rangers go from about a minus 140 favorite to a minus 130 favorite as we do this podcast with Mike Miner going. Mike Miner certainly did not look good in the month of July, but all in all for the year, he has been a very solid pitcher, tremendous war. And this is a spot where I've just got to be taking a look at the Texas Rangers, especially with the way that they have lefties much better than righties. And we both know that Patrick Sandoval, lefty. We do. And look, here's the thing in kind of the, I don't want to say excuse, but I'll, I'll kind of give them a pass in AAA. Look, if you don't know about the PCL and you think the ball is juiced in Major oh, the League ball Baseball. ball is totally I mean, juiced out there in the PCL. It is awful. I mean, you're looking at, you know, games routinely in the, you know, 10 to 8 range out there. So I will largely kind of, you know, almost give him a pass for that. And again, I know I'm in the minority and watch way too much AAA baseball for anyone's sanity, but it's hard to really handicap what somebody's going to do once they get out of that league. It's something we've really never seen before. But I will say this, man, the next kind of evolution of these K-Props that I've been really trying to dig into, usually it's been a fate of a team or a buy of a pitcher, but it's really going the other way now. And look, there is no team better overall against both lefties and righties when it comes to striking out than the Angels. I mean, we're talking about versus righties, 15% K percentage, good for best in baseball. And even against lefties, 16%. Houston bounds, you know, just above Oakland. So look, they don't strike out. Houston against righties is another one that has notoriously, their lineup is kind of built like Moneyball, where they were the originators of building that sequel, which Tampa and even the Twins, which is the reason I was so high on their win total built, which is on base, on base power, on base, on base power. And you repeat that through the lineup with guys who do not strike out against right-handed pitching, knowing that they're going to face that the majority of the time. So look, it's one of those things where you can talk about how they're wasting trout, but you know their lineup metrics are, are certainly there. They just haven't been able to put it together specifically from a pitching perspective, when you look at minor, I mean, basically just over, you know, right around exactly a K through nine. So if you can get a little value on that, maybe look to go under against the best right hitting team when it comes to strikeouts in that is kind of the angle that I would attack there. But yeah, from the side perspective, I need to see it from Sandoval, despite the fact that I do largely give him a pass. He wasn't exactly the highest touted prospect coming out of the Angels. So definitely a little bit of a discount, even in theory, uh, with a guy like minor going. Yeah, if you were getting a big plus price here with Sandoval, maybe you take a look at it. Because in the majors, all in all, he hasn't been bad. He looked good in his first outing against Boston Red Sox. But for him to only be right around plus 120 here, I just feel like the value's not there. As we do have Christian Pina joining me right here on the podcast. And Christian Pina, I know that you do find the value. 
And something I think that there is no value in is laying the big number with the Houston Astros on Wednesday. This opened up at Circa on Monday with the Astros being a minus $5 favorites. It's looking a little bit more respectable as we do this podcast. Offshore, more around minus 420 to minus 430. If you're looking at the Tigers and Daniel Norris, that's plus 375. I've got to say this about Daniel Norris. He's not a great pitcher, but at the same time, he's pitched better recently over the last month or so. He had a good start against the Seattle Mariners. We recall his last start against the Tampa Bay Rays. I believe he was able to cash here like a plus 250 ticket against Charlie Morton. He's given up quite a few home runs this year, but over, I would say, the past month or so, he's looked more respectable. This is a spot where I've got to be looking at the dog where I've got to be passing because to lay $4 in this spot with Justin Verlander, who the last time he was this big of a favorite, lost, by the way, it's just something I have no interest in. Yeah, and you know, this is where I separate myself a little bit when it comes to the philosophy, when it comes to some other pros out there versus me. And, you know, Verlander on the road, despite the price, the Astros have been absolutely amazing. I think it's like 26 and five and is, you know, dating back 31 starts for when he's been on the road in his career. It's been absolutely incredible to watch. Obviously, you know, when you flap at that stuff, you kind of limit your risk. But to me, man, again, the second half of how I'm a little bit different, I look for the other ways to attack this market. Now, look. Justin Verlander, I mean, do I got to, you know, really, how much do I got to talk about his strikeout potential? 228 Ks and 169 innings. And guess who he goes against? The number two worst strikeout team in the league at 27.4% in the Tigers. You have the revenge factor. That's probably kind of out the window at this point, but I'm not looking to lay this big number just like you, but I'm going to attack that K prop market like I've done against Detroit, kind of with these guys all season. And, and it even goes further than that. Cole will follow him and. Verlander and Cole have legitimate 20K ceilings for these next two games coming up with the series against Detroit, who do nothing except strike out against right-handed pitching. So, you know, anything under double digits, the nine and a half values, I think are well worth taking there. Uh, but that's a little bit of a way to navigate that juice and not have to lay that, my God, $4 price on a guy like Verlander. Oh, absolutely. And the way that you attack things and the way I attack things, because I'm more of a side and totals guy, you're someone that you've been doing a great job with the K-Prop. There is a legitimate chance that we could both be looking at this game. We could fire in different bets and we could both be right as well. And that's a great thing about baseball betting is because nowadays you've got so many more options. You don't have to just look at the specific side in total for a full game, which is what I typically do. You could take the first five on the Astros. I could take the full game on the Tigers. We could both be right. I could think that the Tigers are going to be able to hit a couple home runs off of Justin Rolander. And you could think that Justin Rolander goes out and gets 12 strikeouts and they could both cash as well. And it's the beauty of being able to bet baseball in this day and age that I feel like wasn't there a couple years ago. The niche markets are really the next evolution. And not only that, when you talk about kind of the other sides of under strikeouts, over strikeouts, look, yeah, there's levels to this, as I always say, and the limits, you need a lot of outs to kind of get down what you want in these specific niche markets, whether it's first inning or any of these props out there. First five is pretty much the same thing as full game, especially here in town in Vegas where we are, but it's just a way to diversify. And you know my overall, you know, kind of philosophy, man, it's eliminate the variance and make things a one-on-one battle as much as you can. That's really why I gravitate towards the first five market is pitcher versus, you know, batters, but all that type of stuff for sure. But I get to invest or sell in, you know, the pitcher and offense to me is variance. And I understand that guys will have great starts and bad starts, but the baseline is usually pretty much right on. So it's just a way to kind of diversify things, simplify things and try to, you know, find those edges where maybe odds makers are, I don't want to say sleep at the wheel, but it's impossible to, you know, hang the perfect line when I'm only looking at that stuff. And that's kind of the last thing that they're looking at is kind of the way I would word it. I totally agree with you as we do have Christian Pino, just a terrific handicapper joining me right here on the podcast also does the inside vegas podcast for the sports gambling podcast network 
And Christian, I think that you're so right on. There are so many people that think, oh, the bookmakers always post a perfect line and everything like that. When you have to post lines on these strikeout props, you need to post a first five line. You have to post a full game line. You have to post team totals, individual totals, totals for the game, home run props and everything like that. There's always going to be value. And I feel like the more options that you have, the more ways that you have to be able to get the book because we all know that the side in total, which I usually bet, is probably the most widely bet thing, but now you've got more and more options out there and it makes it easier and easier to be able to find value when you look at all these pretty much combined because when you've got so many different options, it's hard to be right on on every one of them. Exactly. And, you know, Vegas is a little bit different than some of the other markets out there for sure. And it's kind of taken them a little bit, you know, God bless the new books that are coming up that are kind of looking to, you know, cater to that, you know, type of market that's been out there in the offshore world where there's just a million different props. But I mean, you you hit the nail on the head, man. Options are absolutely everything. And if you can find books that offer the type of stuff that when you specialize in a couple of different niche markets, I'm not telling you to stop betting full game or all that type of stuff. It's just, you know, the first five market is what works for me. And I certainly do bet you know, based on trends and all that type of stuff, the full game stuff as well, specifically in other sports. But it's just kind of the natural progression. And, you know, it, there's been a lot of stuff said, you know, of how odds makers have kind of changed over to the computer. And instead of playing chess with a human, you're kind of playing against the computer now and all that type of stuff. And largely, look, I know there's still algorithms that go into these props and sometimes they are right on, but you can look around and the Bauer prop was eight and a half finished with 11 when really a no sweat. So it's just one of those things where you got to find the value in the markets that you can. And you just got to really put in that extra work to not look where everyone else is, is what I would say. It's one of those things, like you just said, there are certain things that are going to work for certain people. For you, strikeout props have been white hot. You're a good first five better. I've been someone that I've been doing a very good job of being able to bet underdogs for a full game, just being able to identify the value there. It's all about just finding yourself. And for some other betters, it might be just being able to bet the first inning in general. So just one of those things. Find what's cashing for you and don't let go. Heck, I always tell people don't bet parlays and everything like that. But if you're cashing a whole bunch of parlays, you're putting money in your bankroll. Who am I to tell you that you're doing a bad job? And I think that we both agree on that thousand percent. I want to ask you something as an underdog better, because again, this is something I found that I am largely, largely in the minority of. Are you betting the professional uh, moniker of bet numbers, not teams and kind of taking that out of it inherently? And again, Major League Baseball has the underdogs cash as statistically the second most in any major sport, UFC being the first. I think it's 48% in UFC and about 43% in Major League Baseball. All things being considered equal, let's even say you get, you know, kind of both lines are, I know this wouldn't happen, but even money or plus 110 on both sides, would you kind of handicap it a little bit differently or a minus 110 pick? Or are you really just looking for the numbers aspect of there's enough value that the true odds indicate this is more likely to happen than what the odds are telling you? What I do is I evaluate every game on a pretty much situation by situation basis. I try to think, hmm, what would I make the number if I were a bookmaker? And when I see a discrepancy, I go ahead and fire on it. And sometimes, even though I am an underdog better, there's a lot of value on a favorite. I still remember, I still think the best value of the year, and I'm going to keep going to this example. The New York Mets, a few weeks ago, when they were going up against Miami Marlins, you had Jacob DeGrom, who was going in a game game, and I get, I believe he was going up against Robert Duger of the Miami Marlins, a guy who had a 9 ERA at the AAA level. He had given up five or more runs in each of his last four starts at the AAA level. Jacob DeGrom, a ERA below two career in daytime starts, over 50 starts, huge sample size. And yet, after they switched out Sandy Alcantara for Duger, the run line price of the Mets versus the Marlins was right around the same, right around minus 160. I looked at it and I said, 
The Mets should probably win this game on the run line five out of six times. It's all about just trying to find value and being able to find numbers. It is one of those situations as well. as so you do have to take a look a little bit at recent form, how these guys have performed in the past against these teams as well, because there's no value in a plus 200 underdog if you only think they're going to win 20% of the time. So it's one of those things where you do your research. If the numbers come out where you feel like you're getting good value, and if you bet that thing 10 times, you probably are going to be making a nice profit. It's one of those things where I'm going to get set and get firing. Yeah, man, I completely agree with you. It's it's so funny. I really operate the same exact way, except instead of, you know, banking on positive or negative regression, I ride the hot hands. I know we've had this conversation with so many guys out there. Dakota Hudson defies all logic, yet all he does is go out there and win. And people say Kershaw's lost a step and this and that, yet the Dodgers are like 85% in his starts full game. It's a weird thing to hear, and I completely understand how kind of backwards it says to you know, to think that I find value in the favorites, but to me, it's, it's really when they're not really big enough favorites. You look at a guy like Ryu, and again, I know he just lost his last start, but it really speaks to this. That was the second time all season that he's allowed more than two earned runs in a single game. And now you look to diversify that, right? So how do you do that? Well, not only are you going to take, in my opinion, Ryu, you know, first five, maybe a first five run line if you have to, but why not look at a first five team total on the other side of things when it's, above two, knowing, you know, up until last start, had given up more than two one time this, this season, and it was in cores where he has had absolute fits despite pitching a shutout the next time that he did return there. So it's all about diversification and just finding the value in the price, and even if it is a favorite, sometimes it's not a big exactly. enough Exactly. It's just one of those things where one of the greatest bets that you'll ever find in my opinion, was Floyd Mayweather against Conor McGregor. Obviously, if you're laying $4 in a normal bet, so many people are saying, oh, you're laying so much juice. But when you think that Floyd Mayweather wins the fight 99 out of 100 times, well, you know what? That's a pretty good bet, as we do have Christian Pita joining me right here on the podcast. And I think that we both wholeheartedly agree on that. And is there anything else that you were really looking at with regards to the slate for Wednesday? I know that there are quite a few first five pitchers that you really like out there. I think that Luis Castillo is certainly one of them. We hit on Lucas Giolito. Anyone else out there that is really catching your eye? Yeah, you touched on Castillo. I was definitely going to be looking at that first five under market when it was originally Paddock that was scheduled to pitch. Paddock this year has just been a great first five under guy. Yet, you know, no run support will make you a great first five under guy. But with that one out the window, I think the Padres have largely been a team I have really, really targeted, tied for worst in the league against right-handed pitchers. And we know who Luis Castillo is at home, despite the fact that he got shelled a little bit. So I love kind of almost buying low in that market. Looking about a minus 145, although San Diego, I don't believe, has listed anybody for their starter yet. The K-Prop there makes a lot of sense. And the last one in that market that I will bring up for anybody, the Pirates, despite being almost, you know, top six in the league against righties, they are just about as worst against left-handed pitching, striking out, get this, 30% of the time against lefties. You have Patrick Corbin, 180 Ks through 153. I think that one makes a lot of sense as well. I think that you've got a very good angle there. And Christian, I know you've got so many good angles. You do a tremendous job hosting Inside Vegas for the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. You're obviously giving out so many picks in not just baseball, but you've got your futures plays out for both the NFL and college football. You do a tremendous job handicapping the UFC and so many other things. I'd like to close it up with this. Where can the good people out there find a little bit more of your work and just catch you on social media, your podcast, and get a little bit more Christian in their lives in general? Yeah, man, I appreciate it. The The hub of everything will always be Twitter as it is in social media these days at Christian Pina. Yeah, I mean, you touched on that as well. A 75 page ebook that I put out this year, something I've been kind of quietly working on all season. And, you know, for anyone out there that 
like me who loves the Phil Steele uh, magazines of the world, loves the Warren Sharps in, in the NFL of the world, all of these great magazines and publications of season previews that kind of tiptoe around the gambling you know, aspect of it. There was never a publication out there that kind of helped you directly monetize the information you're seeing. You had to put in all that extra work on top of. And so I really thought that it was something that was lacking in this space. There's a preview up there. I believe it's pinned on my profile if anybody wants to read it. And just kind of talking about the narratives that have led me to be so successful in the futures market through the years and everything like that. So that's kind of the big thing right now. But yeah, I mean, you touched on it. Baseball picks, sports gambling podcast, sports gambling podcast network on Twitter for the Inside Vegas podcast, breaking down, you guessed it, everything inside Vegas when it comes to sports betting, but also looking at how kind of social media has changed the game as well. Terrific. A big thanks to Christian Pina of the Sports Gambling Podcast Network, the Inside Vegas podcast to be specific, and just all around great handicapper for joining me in the last segment right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And coming up next, it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board. And we do so in a little something I like to call Touch Em All. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. And a big thanks to Christian Pino of the Gambling Podcast Network for joining me in the last segment. As we're back here in the Zuniet Kill Studios for MLB Overtime Betting, now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board, and we do so in a little something I like to call Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that any changes that are made to these plays are going to be listed up on my Twitter feed at JuniorSquirty1. With some of these plays, they are all locked in, good to go, bet on everything like that. With some of these plays, we're in wing team mode, waiting on some line moves. There's one game that we've got off the board with the Mariners and the Tampa Bay Rays as well. And with all this, I will be keeping you guys abreast as to everything that is all locked in and everything that is pending while I go through it. And all numbers that I lock in going to be listed up on my Twitter feed at JuniorSquirty1. As we start with 901-902 on the bank rotation, the San Diego Padres are in Cincinnati as we are on to Cincinnati to face off against the Reds. Chris Paddock goes for the Padres. Meanwhile, for the Cincinnati Reds, it's Luis Castillo. Total on this game is 8.5. Overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. If you're looking at the Padres, going to be getting anywhere between plus 125 and plus 131. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it with the Reds, it's anywhere between minus 145 and minus 138. With Chris Paddock, he has been pretty solid ever since returning to AAA, but I do feel like a little bit of regression has set in for him. He's done a great job of limiting the walks with right around 2.3 per nine innings, but with that said, he's also been giving up right around 1.7 home runs per nine. And you take a look at his last three starts, he's given up three earned runs or more in every one of them. Meanwhile, for Luis Castillo, well, he's been hit hard a little bit in his most recent couple starts. Going into his last three starts at home, he had not given up more than three earned runs in a single home start this year. Last start, he gave up 
Eight runs in four and a third innings against the St. Louis Cardinals. The previous start against the Cubs wasn't great, but wasn't awful. Gave up three runs there, but this is a guy that is starting to really come back to earth a little bit, especially at home. Though I will say, he still does a great job of being able to get swings and misses. 11 strikeouts per nine innings with the San Diego Padres. This is a team that is trying to survive without Fernando Tatis Jr. at this point. Without him, they're now having to play guys like Greg Garcia a little bit more. Greg Garcia, solid hitter, sitting right around 8270, and then you got Manny Machado hitting at 265 with 26 home runs. But other than Eric Hosmer and Hunter Renfro, you don't have a whole lot more power outside of him with Eric Hosmer. He's doing a great job of being able to drive in the runs. 18 home runs, 82 RBI, and despite the fact that he's only hitting 240, Hunter Renfro has 31 home runs. But then you take a look at some of the other guys. Guys like Manuel Margot, Josh Naylor, hitting between a 245 and a 250. And Francisco Mejia's up his average rate two seventy five, but then you got Austin Hedges, Luis Arreyes, and Will Myers all hitting a two twenty five or lower with Ian Kinsler on the injured list. Then for the Reds, it's really the young guys that are stepping up. You gotta love that Aristides Aquino and Philip Irvin are both hitting above a three twenty, and Aquino had that three home run game against the Cubs a few weeks ago. Jose Iglesias has been hitting for an average two ninety five there, along with Josh Van Meter hitting right around to two ninety. Then they pick up Freddie Galvis from the Toronto Blue Jays for the year. He's hitting 275 with 20 home runs. Eugenio Suarez is really the power guy on this team, hitting right around to 255. He has pounded out the home runs with 33 of them. They haven't seen a whole lot of Jesse Winker or Joey Votto recently, but they're still getting by with guys like Tucker Barnard being able to up 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 his average, and Nick Senzel hitting a 270 as well. So this is a Cincinnati Reds team that's doing a little bit of a better job in that regard. I do feel like there is a little bit of positiveness coming in for the San Diego Padres bullpen, though. Their fielding independent is better than their ERA. And with the Cincinnati Reds, the same is true. They've been a little bit unlucky with the bullpen, which is why these bullpen ERAs are so high. I do think that they're going to be able to get a little bit of good mojo there, and I think they're going to be able to deliver some good innings. I think both starters are going to be very strong in this one, but I like Luis Castillo a little bit more at home. So for that reason, looking at laying the number here with the Cincinnati Reds, I'm taking this total under. Right now, I'm noticing a little bit of money coming in on the Padres, so I'm waiting to see more there. I would like to be able to mitigate the juice on this total as much as possible. 903-904 on the bagging rotation. The Arizona Diamondbacks play the Colorado Rockies. John Gray goes for the Rockies. Mike Leak for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Total on this game is 9.5. Under a set of minus 120 across the board, the over has juice of even. If you're looking at the Arizona Diamondbacks, you're going to be getting right around even money or you're going to be laying a small number as high as minus 105. Meanwhile, across the board with the Colorado Rockies, you are laying minus 105. And with John Gray, he has actually been doing a pretty spectacular job for the Colorado Rockies despite the fact that his home ballpark is Coors Field. He's giving up right around 1.3 home runs per nine innings, 11-8 record, ERA, 3-8-4, and in the month of August, he's had some pretty good starts. He gave up zero runs in eight innings in his last start against the Miami Marlins. He's given up more than three earned runs in just one start ever since July 17th, so he's been doing a pretty solid job there. And most of his bad starts have been coming at Coors Field on the road. He has been a rock last time he went to Arizona. Gave up one run in six innings. Meanwhile, with Mike Leake, this is a guy that you cannot trust in. He's given up eight home runs and it's 16 and a third innings with the Arizona Diamondbacks. And for the year, he's given up over 30. 99 record overall, 464 ERA. As a Arizona Diamondback, he's given up three earned runs or more in all but one of his starts. So, needless to say, things are not necessarily going well there. And with the Colorado Rockies, they don't hit quite the same on the road as they do at home, but they still have some very good power bats, and that is headlined by 
their top guys in Nolan Arenado, Charlie Blackman, and Trevor Story. All these guys have between 26 and 30 home runs. You did see Charlie Blackman get a day off yesterday, but he's hitting about a 325. He's been more dominant at home than he is on the road. At home, he's hitting more like a 375, but he's still delivering some good production. You've also got Remy Altapia, Daniel Murphy, and Tony Walters, all in between a 282 and a 287. Ian Desmond and Ryan McMahon are both hitting between a 260 and a 270 themselves. You are noticing a couple guys are banged up for the Colorado Rockies. Meanwhile, for the years and the Diamondbacks, they've been doing a very good job of being able to get something out of their power bats in Eduardo Escobar and Cattell Marte. Both have between 26 and 28 home runs. In the case of Cattell Marte, he's hitting at 320. Then you've got a bevy of guys for the years and the Diamondbacks hitting between a 270 and 275. Escobar is in that group along with David Peralta, Adam Jones, Nick Ahmad, and then you even got Carson Kelly hitting a 260 with 18 home runs. He's been a good contributor. Adam Jones has been out of the lineup quite a bit, but Wilmer Flores at the second base spot hitting above a 300. That's been nice. Gerard Dyson is hitting right around a 261, one of the better base dealers out there in baseball. He's been in and out of the lineup too, but all in all, I do like what I'm seeing there for both these teams. Their bullpens have been really rough, but for the Colorado Rockies, it's really one guy, Wade Davis, that you need to avoid. His ERA is north of seven. For the Rockies as a team, they have won the bottom five bullpen ERAs in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break, so that is not good, but meanwhile, the Arizona and Diamondbacks have not been much better. Greg Holland was gas canning a bunch of games. Archie Bradley, a guy that I feel to have a lot of confidence in. But I do think that both starters are going to be able to provide some good endings in this outing. But I do think that John Gray certainly going to be better for the Rockies, which is why I'm looking at them laying this very small number and this total under. With the under, certainly would like to be able to not lay as much juice here. Would rather take an unjuiced nine rather than minus 120 on nine and a half. So in Wayne C mode there. And this actually originally opened up with the Diamondbacks as a favorite. It has now moved to the Rockies being a favorite. I'm looking to see if there's a little bit of buyback on the Diamondbacks. So in Wayne C mode there. 905-906 on the bank rotation. The Pittsburgh Pirates play us the Washington Nationals. Patrick Corbin going for the Nats. Joel Musgrove for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Your total on this game is nine. And I'm seeing a nine and a half out there as well. I'll give you the nine and a half first. Under on that is minus 115. The over is minus 105. With the nines, the under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even a minus 105, which makes that 9.5 look really foolish. The Washington Nationals are going to be the big favorite in this game. You are going to be laying anywhere between minus 148 and minus 155. Meanwhile, plus price on the buck goes anywhere between plus 135 and plus 145. I just can't bet the Pittsburgh Pirates at this point. Going into Tuesday, they have been 7-28 and 28 ever since the All-Star break. Now, I know that Patrick Corbin certainly struggles quite a bit more on the road than he does at home, but... This is a situation where the Pittsburgh Pirates just don't have a lot of guys that are hitting in general. You do have Josh Bell who's done a great job with 31 home runs at 98 RBI to go with his 280 batting average, but how many of those home runs have come since the All-Star break? The same goes for Sterling Marte. He's got 20-plus home runs. He's hitting right around a 285 himself, but he just hasn't been doing a whole lot in regards to going yard ever since the All-Star break, and you still have quite a few guys behind them that do a very good job with their average as well. Brian Reynolds is hitting a 325. Jose Azuna, 315. Kevin Newman, a 300. You've got Colin Moran, Melky Cabrera, both guys are hitting right around a 280. Jacob Sellings and Adam Frazier are hitting above a 260, but they just don't have a lot of guys that are able to drive them in. Meanwhile, the Washington Nationals, they certainly are driving them in. As you've got Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto both with an on-base percentage hovering right around a 400. In the case of Anthony Rendon, he has one yard 27 times and Juan Soto 28. Trey Turner and Adam Eaton at the top of the lineup, both hitting between a 290 and a 295. Then you've got Ezrubo Cabrera, 
Matt Adams, Victor Robles, all guys eating between a 245 and a 251. Brian Dozier eating more in the neighbor of a 240. And Kurt Suzuki, a 270 at the catcher spot. Now, both these bullpens are woeful. The Washington Nationals, a little bit more so than the Pittsburgh Pirates. And Sean Doolittle was doing very little for betters, and he's currently on the injured list, which actually might be a little bit of an edge. But I do think that Patrick Corbin is going to be able to gum out here, and he's going to be able to deliver a gem. 9-5 record overall, giving up right around 1.1 home runs per nine innings. Has done a very good job of being able to limit the walks and in his recent form he has been doing a very solid job in his last two starts giving up just three total runs and he's given up more than four earned runs in just one start ever since June 11th so I do think that he's going to be dominant here with Joe Musgrove you just don't know what you're going to get out of this guy in his last start against the Chicago Cubs he looked absolutely spectacular he wound up striking out nine guys he gave up two runs in seven and a third innings start before that he gives up three start before that he gives up eight this is a guy that he could deliver absolutely anything in this spot and I think the Washington Nationals hit him and hit him hard I think the Nationals could be able to get this over all by themselves. So for that reason, going to be looking at the Nationals on the run line, and I'm going to be taking this total over. With the over, looking to see if this possibly gets down to an 8.5, because like I said, I think Washington Nationals have to hit this total all by themselves. So I'm holding off there. Meanwhile, with this price, I'm currently seeing the run line of the Washington Nationals right around even. Would like to be able to get a plus price if at all possible. We move on to 907-908 on the bag rotation. The Atlanta Braves play also the Miami Marlins. Caleb Smith goes for the Marlins. Julio Tedon for the Atlanta Braves. Your total on this game is 9. The over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Braves, you're laying anywhere between minus 190 and minus 195. Plus price on the fish. Anywhere between plus 173 and plus 177. Caleb Smith is not quite the same pitcher on the road as he is at home, but I have noticed that his splits are getting a little bit better. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Atlanta Braves. They are getting a lot out of Julio Tehran. Now, I know that his last start certainly did not go as planned. He gives up seven runs to the New York Mets while recording just five outs, but all in all for the year, he has been pretty solid. He's given up more than three earned runs in just three starts since the beginning of the month of May and has given up more than two earned runs in just four starts. Meanwhile, with Caleb Smith, he's been yo-yoing a little bit as well. In his three starts in the month of August, he's given up one run in five innings and two of them. In the other start, he wound up giving up six runs in four two-thirds innings. That start, ironically enough, was against the Atlanta Braves. And then in the month of July, he rounded it out by giving up four runs in a start as well. This is a gentleman that is doing a great job of being able to get strikeouts. He's averaging right around 11.5 per nine innings. But with the Atlanta Braves, you do have to like the fact that they've got such better hitting than the Miami Marlins. You've got Ronald Lacuna Jr. hitting nearly at 300. He's went deep 35 times, over 90 RBI with Freddie Freeman. He's got 31 bombs, batting right around at 300. He's got nearly 90 RBI. And then they were backed up by Josh Donaldson, who is really getting on pace with regards to his batting average, hovering right around 270. 29 home runs for him. Ozzy Albies is hitting at 295. Brian McCann at 265. Matt Joyce in that neighborhood of a 260. And even Rafael de Ortega sitting at 300. Now, you do need a little bit more out of a Denny Hatcheveria, but he's just a bonus for the team. Meanwhile, with the Miami Marlins, Got a couple guys that are doing a good job with their batting average. Garrett Cooper and John Birdie both hitting between a 280 and a 290. And Harold Ramirez has his batting average up to a 275, but then there's a precipitous fall off. But then you do have still a couple guys doing a decent job of getting on base. Neil Walker, Brett Anderson, Sterling Castro, Jorge Alfaro, all in between a 255 and a 262. And in the case of Anderson, he has went deep 20 times so far this year. But then you've got guys like Lewis Brinson. 
Curtis Granderson, Diaz, all these guys that are hitting below the Mendoza line. That's really hurting this team with the Miami Marlins. They certainly don't have a trustworthy bullpen with the Atlanta Braves. They've had one of the seven worst bullpen ERAs in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break, but I do think that with the lack of power that the Miami Marlins provide, it is one of those spots where Julio Tehran is going to be able to shut them down and is going to be able to lead the Braves to an easy victory. So for that reason, we're looking at the Braves on the run line, and we're going to be taking this total under. With regards to the under, I'm currently in Wayne C mode. Would like to see if this total ticks up a little bit because I am noticing a little bit of money coming in on the over and with the Atlanta Braves, that run line price is even. Would like to be able to get plus money if at all possible. 909-910 on the bang rotation. The Milwaukee Brewers at the road to face off against the St. Louis Cardinals. Adam Wainwright goes for the cards. Adrian Hauser for the Milwaukee Brewers. Your total on this game is 8.5. Over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Brewers, you're going to be getting anywhere between plus 105 and minus 105. Meanwhile, with the St. Louis Cardinals, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. Adam Wainwright has been demonstratively better at home than he has been on the road so far this year. His ERA on the road is hovering right around 6. Meanwhile, at home, he's got an ERA that is closer to 3, so certainly some big splits there with Adam Wainwright. He's giving out right around 3.7 walks per 9 innings, but in recent form, he's actually been pretty good. He has allowed 3 runs or fewer in Every one of his last four starts. Before then, he had given up a combined 11 runs in his last two starts against the Cincinnati Reds and Pittsburgh Pirates. But keep in mind, both those starts were on the road. Last time he gave up more than three earned runs at home was in April. So he certainly has been good in St. Louis. And keep in mind, the St. Louis Cardinals, best under team at home in the big leagues. Over 63% of their games at home have went under. Meanwhile, with Adrian Hauser, he has been doing a terrific job in his last couple starts. Giving up a combined two earned runs across 13 innings against the Texas Rangers and the Washington Nationals. So he seems to be coming around as a starter. The narrative on him before was that he was a good reliever but really couldn't start. He has been doing a much better job getting stretched out. But for the Milwaukee Brewers, outside of Christian Yelich, aside from those two games in Washington, which they were able to hang some big numbers, they haven't been getting a whole heck of a lot. With Christian Yelich, 333 batting average, over 90 RBI, 40 home runs, 20 stolen bases. He's been amazing. Castanier has been helping him out with the batting average, 306 there. But then you've got a bunch of guys there hitting between a 250 and a 255. Lorenzo Cain, Ben Gamble, Yasmani Grandal, and Eric Thames all in that fold with Yasmani Grandal. He does have 20 home runs, and Mike Moussakis has 31 of them as well, but you take a look at both these guys. Other than that two-game run that they had against Washington Nationals, they have not had a lot of power in the second half of the season, and Mike Moussakis hitting right around a 260 and was out of the lineup yesterday. Then you've got Hernan Perez hitting a 234, and Orlando Arcina, Manny Pina, and Travis Shaw all in below a 230. Meanwhile, you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. Just a whole bunch of guys earning between a 245 and a 260. Paul Goldschmidt, Marcel Zuna, Paul DeYoung, Yadier Molina, Dexter Feller, all in that fold. Then you've got Taylor Edmond and Jose Martinez, along with Yario Munoz, all in between a 265 and a 275. And I will say Colton Wong hitting a 274 himself. He's been stepping up at Harrison Bader, hitting below the Mendoza line. Matt Carpenter hitting right around a 215. And then you've got the Pauls that are really going yard for this team. Paul DeYoung has 21 home runs. Paul Goldschmidt, 28 of them. And with Goldschmidt, he had a run earlier in the year in which he had 
seven home runs over the course of nine games. And with Marcel Zuna, he's got 22 bombs himself, but all in all, I think that this is going to be another very low-scoring affair between these two teams. I think that Adam Wainwright is going to be able to do a little bit of a better job than Adrian Hauser. And with the St. Louis Cardinals having a top-seven bullpen with regards to ERA and the Milwaukee Brewers since the All-Star break, having a bottom-ten bullpen ERA, I think it lends itself to betting the St. Louis Cardinals. For that reason, all aboard the St. Louis Cardinals and the total under. With regards to the under, I would like to see if I'm able to get plus money on this under because this total started out at 9. It's now down to 8.5, but sh- heavily shaded to the over, and I have already locked in the St. Louis Cardinals as a play. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting rotation. It is the San Francisco Giants hitting the road to face off against the Chicago Cubs. You Darvish goes for the Cubs. Derek Rodriguez for the San Francisco Giants. There's no total on this game since it is being played at Wrigley Field, but if you're looking to lay it with the Cubs, anywhere between minus 190 and minus 210. Meanwhile, the plus price on the Giants, anywhere between plus 175 and plus 185. You Darvish has actually looked significantly better recently, and I will say this about you Darvish. He actually seems to be a better road starter than he is a home starter. For the year, Darvish has still been giving out too many walks. He's giving out just under four walks per nine innings, but he has been doing a very good job of being able to rectify the issue. In the month of August, he's actually been pretty good, giving up a combined five earned runs over the course of 18 innings. And you take a look at what he was able to do in July. In both starts at home, he didn't give up a single run, so he certainly was good there in the month of June. It was a completely different story, but all in all, he's been doing a solid job, and Derek Rodriguez actually seems to be a better starter on the road than he seems to be at home. 5-6 record, 479 ERA for him. He's made two starts in the month of August, gave up four runs and three innings against the Philadelphia Phillies in one of them. The other one, he turned a gem. That was a couple days ago against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Zero earned runs over the course of seven innings, and he's actually been doing a pretty good job of just being able to supply some good innings on the road as well. As we know, the San Francisco Giants, actually the most profitable team out there in the National league with regards to making you money on the road, but the Cubs, they are so dominant at home going into Tuesday. They were 41-19 and 19 at Wrigley Field, so certainly sets up a situation of something's got to give, and with the San Francisco Giants, this is a team that averages right around 3.3 runs per game at home on the road. They average more around 5.3, and with the San Francisco Giants, you don't have too many people that are really leaping out at you with regards to a batting average standpoint, but you do have Austin Slater and Donovan Solano, both hitting above a 300 and Solano more around a 333. Mikey Stremski had a three-home run game a couple days ago. He's hitting a 275. Then you got a bunch of guys like Buster Posey, Evan Longoria hitting right around a 250. Kevin Pillar, a 260. So they're certainly getting some good wood there. Meanwhile, with the Chicago Cubs, you've got that great middle of the lineup that now has Nick Cassianos in it. You've got Cassianos, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, all in between a 285 and a 288 with regards to their average. Cassianos wasn't doesn't have 20-plus home runs like the other guys because he spent the beginning of the year out there in Detroit, but Chris Bryant has won deep 25 times, Javi Baez 28, and Anthony Rizzo 23. You've got Kyle Schwarber, who's doing a good job of supplying some power despite hitting 228 with 28 home runs. Jonathan Lucroy has been solid at the catcher spot, filling in for the injured Wilson Contreras. And then you've got a couple of other guys like Tony Kemp, David Bodie, and company that are able to play the infield. And with the Cubs, though so many people do want to hate on the bullpen, it is still a bullpen that has won the better ERAs out there in the big leagues in the top 10. The San Francisco Giants have the second best bullpen ERA as well, but we saw them really get banged around against the Arizona Diamondbacks. You can really feel like the pieces that they sold off at the, all, at the trading deadline starting to hurt them. And I do think that with the Cubs getting back 
Craig Kimbrell, it is a little bit of a help, but I do think that Derek Rodriguez does turn a good start here. He's only giving up right around 1.3 home runs per nine innings. Not much of a swing of this guy, but I do like the way that he's been pitching recently. I do think that Darvish is going to get hit around in this spot. So for that reason, taking the big plus price here with the San Francisco Giants. With the total, it depends on the wind. If you really got it blowing out, I think that that actually lends itself a little bit better to the under because we sort of know what you Darvish is. And with Derek Rodriguez, he is a little bit of a pitch to contact guy. So you do have a little bit of trepidation there, but probably going to be looking at an under. As always, I'll check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNR Score one because if we get something insane, it would lead me to going somewhere else. 9-13, 9-14 on the bang rotation. The Minnesota Twins play OC Chicago White Sox. Lucas Giolito goes for the White Sox. Jake Odorizzi for the Minnesota Twins. Your total on this game is 9. Overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The unders anywhere between even a minus 110. If you're looking at the White Sox, plus price here is anywhere between plus 155 and plus 158. If you want to lay it with the Minnesota Twins, anywhere between minus 168 and minus 175. And this is a spot where I've just got to be taking a look at the Chicago White Sox. Lucas Giolito zapping as profitable during the second half of the year as he was in the first half. But all in all, he's still doing a very good job. Walks are a little bit of an issue. He's giving up right around three and a half walks per nine innings, but a lot of those were in the first month of the season as well. He is giving up just about 1.2 home runs per nine innings as well. And in recent form, Lucas Giolito has been quite a bit better than he was towards the June slash early July stretch. He has given up three earned runs or fewer in each of his last four starts after getting hit around by the Minnesota Twins. And he has been doing a very good job of being able to pitch against lesser opponents. But then again, the last time he did give up those three-plus earned runs, as I just mentioned, was against the Minnesota Twins. But you got to say, Jay Godorizzi has not been as good recently as he was at the beginning of the year. In the month of July, he wound up giving up three-plus earned runs in three out of his last five starts. He's really found it in August, though, giving up a combined four earned runs over his last three starts. So that is certainly a sign in the right direction for him. Jake Odorizzi giving up right around 1.2 home runs per nine innings. The walks are a little bit high giving up right around three and a half per nine innings. But keep in mind with the Chicago White Sox, bottom five team in the big leagues with regards to runs per game ever since the All-Star break. But going into Tuesday, they had scored five plus in five out of their last six games. So perhaps this is a team that's finding a little bit of something, but they do know that they have a whole lot of something in Jose Abreu. Jose Abreu, 27 home runs, 273 average, over 90 RBI. He has been terrific. This team is still trying to adapt to life without Yohan Moncada, but Lourdes Garcia, along with Ryan Goins, are both hitting between a 280 and a 290. Wong Castillo is hitting just a 205, but he's actually been helping out his batting average recently. John Jay has seen his dip. It's more around a 270, but Mets goalie and Yomer Sanchez are both hitting right around a 250. Eli Jimenez had three home runs over the course of five games for this team as well. He seems to be eating up with his 22 dingers, and we know this with the Minnesota Twins. They're right now on pace for the most home runs in the history of Major League Baseball in a season, and that's headlined by Nelson Cruz and Max Kepler. Both these guys have 30-plus dingers. You've got Jorge Polanco hitting at 295. Luis Reyes nearly a 350 with an on-base percentage hovering right around 420. Mitch Garver and guys of that ilk are doing a great job as well. Garver, 23 home runs, 263 average. He has been amazing. Eddie Rosario, he's hitting at 282. He's won deep 27 times. You're even getting a home run every 12 or so at bats from Miguel Sano. So all these guys are doing a great job. But I do think that Lucas Giolito is going to be able to cut down on that. I think he's going to be able to deliver a very good start. And with Giolito, it's getting right around 12 strikeouts per nine. 
nine innings. I think he cools off the Minnesota Twins here. So for that reason, looking at the plus price of the White Sox and going to be taking this total under, I'm seeing all the money right now coming in on the other direction. I'm seeing the money coming in on the Twins. I'm seeing money coming in on the over. So I'm in wait and see mode on both of those. As we move on to 915-916 on the bank rotation, the Seattle Mariners hit the road to face off against the Tampa Bay Rays. Charlie Morton goes for the Rays. For the Seattle Mariners, it's good old to be determined, which is why this game is presently off the board. And I will say with Charlie Morton, this is a guy that is really starting to struggle a little bit. Going into late June, he had not lost a decision in over 20-plus starts. He has lost five ever since then, but I will say his last one that he lost against the Detroit Tigers was obviously a little bit of bad luck, and he's still doing a good job of being able to get swings and misses. Right around 11 strikeouts per nine innings. I had a discussion a couple of days ago about nine CS breaking balls out there in the big leagues. He certainly has one of them, and I will say he has given up four earned runs or more in three out of his last six starts, but for the year, he has been pretty rock solid. 13-5 and record, 270-70 RA. He's backed up by one of the better bullpens out there in the big leagues. Meanwhile, for the Seattle Mariners, I right now have no earthly idea who's going to be taking the mound for the team, but I do know this, that going into Tuesday, they were cashing a whole bunch of plus money tickets. They had won each of their last three as massive underdogs, and they are starting to get something out of Austin Nola. Austin Nola, a terrific hitter, 315 batting average. He's went deep a couple times. Kyle Seager, now has 17 home runs, 243 average, but over the last couple weeks, he's probably hitting above a 300 if you separate that out. Omar Navias and Thomas Murphy at the catcher spot both doing a terrific job. They have a combined over 30 home runs. Both these guys hitting at least a 285 as well. Tim Lopez in the outfield starting to deliver something. He and D. Gordon hitting between a 268 and a 278. You do still have Daniel Vogelback laying the team down with regards to batting average, but zombies percentage right around a 350, 27 home runs. He got the day off yesterday along with Domingo Santana. Domingo Santana, ever since the All-Star break, has been a hot mess along with J.P. Crawford. J.P. Crawford hitting a 245. Santana right around a 260, but I think he's got like two home runs ever since the All-Star break. Keon, Bur- Keon Broxson, Mac Williamson, Dylan Moore, all guys hitting below a 220, so... There are some hit or miss bets out there in the Mariners lineup, but you do also have the league leader in stolen bases in Malik Smith. Meanwhile, with the Tampa Bay Rays, you just got a whole bunch of guys that they're hitting okay. They're not really going to leap out at you, but at the same time, they're serviceable. Kevin Kiermeyer, William Thomas, Travis Arno, Matt Duffy, G-Man Choi, all in between a 243 and a 255. Travis no has a little bit of pop in the bat. We all know that William Adamas has 15-plus home runs. Eric Sogard is hitting a 306. And then you got Austin Meadows and Mark Bruseo hitting between a 278 and a 290. And you got to take a look at Austin Meadows as being the top power bat in this line of 21 home runs for him. And that speaks to the consistency and the balance that you have. Tommy Pham has 19 home runs of his own. Sitting at 270, obviously, Garcia has been out of the lineup the past couple days, but he provides a little bit of pop as well. Could be very interesting to see what the Seattle Mariners decide to do with regards to a pitcher. You got to think that it's going to be some form of an opener and then... Wade LeBlanc, who's been just getting completely torched recently. This is a guy with a 540 ERA. Pitches much better at home than he does on the road. So for that reason, would probably be taking a look at the Tampa Bay Rays on the run line. If you're seeing a total below 9, we'll be taking it over. If this is the case, obviously Wade LeBlanc needs to be the pitcher. You need to have the opener and everything like that. But those are my early leans on this game. Check back once we have a line on my Twitter feed at GNRSquarty1 for set plays there. 917-918 on the bank rotation. The Texas Rangers play also the LA Angels. It is Patrick Sandoval going for the Angels. Mike Miner for the Texas Rangers. Total in this game is 11. The under is just a minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you're looking at the Rangers, minus 132 to minus 135 across the board. Meanwhile, the plus price with the Angels, and we're between plus 117 and plus 125. 
Patrick Sandoval is a gentleman that at the AAA level had an ERA above a 5. Now, as we talked about with Christian Pina, there just seems to be something going on with the Pacific Coast League out there in AAA baseball. I have no idea what, but I mean, it is absolutely insane. But with that said, you still are what you are. Patrick Sandoval at the big league level hasn't been a whole lot better. 579 ERA, whip of a 1-5. He actually had a very good first outing against the Cincinnati Reds, which he gave up five runs in two innings, but against the Red Sox and the Chicago White Sox, he's went a combined nine innings, giving up seven runs, so things aren't necessarily going well there. Meanwhile, with Mike Miner, this is a gentleman that had a very rough July. He gave up three earned runs or more in every one of his starts, but in the month of August, he's looked much better. He's went a combined 22 innings, giving up three runs in all three of his starts, so he has been rock solid there. He's given up right around 1.4 home runs per nine innings. That's a little bit of an issue because with the LA Angels, they are out there in human and this is a team that does have some mashers, and that is all headlined by that man, Mike Trout. Mike Trout, 42 home runs, nearly 100 RBI. He's hitting a 300. Joey Otani's also hitting a 300. We know about the pop in his bat. You do have a gentleman that's hitting right around a 240 in Cole Calhoun that also has 26 home runs of his own. Albert Pools is hitting a 247 himself. He's went deep 19 times. And then you do have Daniel Fletcher hitting a 284. Brian Goodwin, a 281. You have a couple guys that do need to pick it up with the bat as well. Justin Upton, Wilfredo Tovar. Matt Theus, Max Tassi, all hitting below a 220, but even Luis Rangifo is hitting a 245. But for the Texas Rangers, they're starting to get their bats going a little bit more as well. You've got Elvis Andrus, Willie Calhoun, both hitting between a 280 and a 290. No Mazar and Sid Chuchu hitting more in that 270 neighborhood. And in the case of Chu, he's got 20 home runs. Danny Santana has also been supplying some power. He's hitting above a 321 home runs. No Mazara, right around 18 dingers for himself. But then you do have the cut. But then you do have the guys that they do need to be picking it up with their bats. Tim Fedorowicz, Jose Trevino, Scott Heineman, Runet Odor, Ronald Guzman, and Jeff Mathis are all guys hitting a 220 or lower. But I will say this for Runet Odor. 21 home runs, nearly 60 RBI. He's been solid. But Logan Forsyth seen his batting average dip to a 233. I do think, though, this is a situation where you are going to see Patrick Sandoval really get hit and get hit hard. I think that Mike Miner gives up a couple runs as well. He has been letting himself to a little bit more hard contact recently and has been doing not such a great job of being able to limit the walks. He's given up over three and a half walks per nine innings, so that is a little bit of an issue, but I do think that runs are going to be a plenty in this game, and I think that Mike Miner is certainly going to be much more solid in this spot than Patrick Sandoval in both these bullpens. Let's face it, they are very tags from yesterday, and they're not very good to start with. So for that reason, we are going to be looking at the Texas Rangers on the run line in this spot, and the total over. Currently, Wayne Seamode on the over this Total started out at 11.5. It's already down to 11. Going to see how low it goes. And with the Rangers run line, that is at plus 130. Like to see if I'm able to get even a little bit more value than that. 919-920 on the bang rotation. The Baltimore Orioles playoffs, the Kansas City Royals. Mike Montgomery goes for the Royals. Aaron Brooks, no, not the former New Orleans Saints quarterback, goes for the Baltimore Orioles. Your total on this game, 10.5. Over is just a minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Royals, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120 plus price on the Baltimore Orioles. Anywhere between plus 105 and plus 110. Do you really want to be taking a shot here with Aaron Brooks? Because I certainly do not want to be Mike Montgomery for the year has not been very good, but I'm going to give Mike Montgomery a little bit of credit. He has been doing a much better job as a starter, and he's done such a good job that despite the fact that he was brutal to start the year, his ERA is back below a four. So, I mean, he's doing a great job there. In the month of August, he's won a combined 18 innings in his three starts. He's given up two earned runs, and he had two outings in which he got seven plus strikeouts. So, he seems to be really turning the corner. 
with Aaron Brooks. He's not turning the corner. 2-7 and seven record, 649 ERA. This is a gentleman that's not getting a strikeout every inning, and he has given up three-plus earned runs in all but one of his last six appearances and all three of his starts in August. I mean, it is just not going well. He's not going past the fifth inning. And then he turns it over to a Baltimore Orioles team that has the worst bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues and is on pace to give up the most home runs in the history of Major League Baseball for a bullpen. And with the Kansas City Royals, you certainly do have a little bit of a top-heavy lineup with the Royals. You've got Whit Merrifield, who's hitting right around a 300. Jorge Soler has really been the power bat, 35 home runs, nearly 90 RBI. He's hitting right around 260, along with Alex Gordon, who's hitting a 258. Hunter Dozier is hitting a 290. And then from there, you just have a whole bunch of guys that you really can't trust in. Ryan O'Hearn, Brett Phillips, Bubba Starlin, Nicky Lopez, Billy Hamilton, Mayorlis Violia. Hopefully I'm saying that one correctly. If not, I don't care. All these guys are hitting below a 230. It is just absolutely brutal. Meanwhile, for the Baltimore Orioles, you do have something going with Trey Mancini, Jonathan VR, and Anthony Santander. They are all hitting between a 275 and a 280. In the case of Mr. Mancini, he has one boom boom for 29 home runs. Renato Nunes only hitting a 240, but his power has been there. He's got 27 home runs on the year. You have some guys that are needing to pick it up with their batting average, though, as well. Chris Davis, Francisco, TJ Stewart. Jace Peterson and Richie Martin are all guys earning a 225 or lower along with Stevie Wilkerson. And then you do have Hanser Alberto who's done a great job of being able to get on base. 320 batting average and it's hitting nearly 400 against lefties. That's pretty impressive. But this is a spot where I do think that you're going to see quite a few runs. I think that Mike Montgomery is going to regress a little bit and I just think that Aaron Brooks is going to be throwing some interceptions. There's going to be more than a touchdown put on the board based on his errors. And I like the Kansas City Royals on the run line and this total over with the Kansas City Royals run line that's currently at plus 130. Considering how tight the spread is, I think I can get a little bit more so I'm in wait mode there. And with this total, we'd like to be able to get this 10.5 with a little bit less juice, so I'm in Wayne C mode there. 9.21, 9.22 on the bank rotation. The Houston Astros play us the Detroit Tigers. Daniel Norris goes for the Tigers. Justin Verlander for the Houston Astros. Your total on this game is 8.5 over is juice of minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking to lay it with the Astros, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 420 and minus 460. The plus price on the Tigers is anywhere between plus 340 and plus 360. Needless to say, we are not going to be betting Justin Verlander as a $4 favorite. As the last time he was a $4 favorite, we saw that win against the Baltimore Orioles. Now, we do know that Justin Verlander for the year has been absolutely sensational. He did wind up giving up four runs in that last start against the Baltimore Orioles, but he still, for the year, has one of the more impressive whips that you'll find. 0.84, record, 281 ERA. His lone problem is about 30% of the hits that he gives up goes over the fence. He's given up 31 home runs in 170 innings. And with Daniel Norris, he's also had a problem giving up the deep ball. He's given up right around 1.7 to 1.8 home runs per nine innings. But I actually love the way that Daniel Norris has pitched recently. Now, I know that he's given up four earned runs or more in three out of his last four starts. But the one start that he didn't, that was against the Tampa Bay Rays. He recorded a shutout, and he was able to get the team to victory. He's been giving some better length as well. And in the month of July, he had a stretch of three starts in which he gave up a combined three earned runs. So there are some redeeming qualities there. Not necessarily much of a swing and miss guy, but he is backed up by a Detroit Tigers bullpen that so many people say is such garbage and everything like that, but actually has been improving a little bit. I do have to give them a little bit of credit. The problem is with the Detroit Tigers, they have scored four runs or fewer, and I believe 24 out of their last 32 games, but they do have a couple guys that are 
doing a decent job of being able to get on base. Miguel Cabrera and Harold Castro, both hitting between a 280 to a 285, and even Travis Semerite sitting above a 265 himself. You've got a lot of guys that do need to pick it up with their batting average. As Dewell Lugo, Roddy Rodriguez, Grayson Griner, Jake Rodriguez, Gordon Beckham, Jamir Candelario, all these guys are right now hitting below a 230. Christian Stewart still on the injured list. Nico Goodrum is banged up. You do have Brandon Dixon. He's hitting right around a 260. He has went deep 14 times, but they don't have a whole heck of a lot that they can rely upon. Though Victor Reyes hitting a 280 himself, I'll give him a little bit of credit, but then you take a look at the Houston Astros, and they've got a whole heck of a lot more. It's Jose Altuve, Yuri Gurriel, two guys are in between a 300 and a 305. Well, in the case of Gurriel, he's got nearly 90 RBI. Jose Altuve, 20.22 times. George Springer sitting at 295. His home run count currently at a 26. You've got Michael Brantley and Jordan Alvarez, both hitting above a 330. Jordan Alvarez getting a home run every, I would say, 11 or so at bats. You've got Josh Reddick getting right around a 260. Really, the lone weakness of this team is catcher spot. Martin Maldonado and Robert Cicciarinos both hitting below a 235. But even when you get Jack Mayfield out there, you're probably going to get something. He's only been batting about a buck fifty, but I do think that Daniel Norris gonna be able to deliver a good start. I do think that Justin Verlander is gonna be striking out a whole lot of Tigers. I don't think that there's going to be a lot of runs scored by the Tigers, but I think that Daniel Norris does a good enough job to keep things out in front of him. And if Justin Verlander gets one guy on base and then he winds up giving up one of those home runs, might be just enough for the Detroit Tigers. So for that reason, just going to take the Mondo price here with the Detroit Tigers and the total under. With regards to the under and Wayne Seymour to see if the juice sticks up a little bit more on that over so that way I can get a even money under. Meanwhile, just waiting to see how much public money and how many parlays and everything like that coming on the Houston Astros before firing. 923-924 on the bank rotation. The Oakland A's are going to be playing host the New York Yankees. J.A. Hepeparay goes for the Yankees. Mike Straight fires for the Oakland A's. Total on this game is 9.5. Overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The unders anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the A's, laying minus 110 across the board. The Yankees anywhere between even and I'm seeing one minus 105 out there as well. You probably don't want to be taking that if you like the Yankees, and I certainly do not in this spot. I am all about Mike Straight Fires once again. In his last start, he gave up more than three earned runs for the first time since April, and he has been good all year long. 11-3 record, 3.46 ERA. He's given up right around 1.4-ish home runs per nine innings. He's done a great job of being able to limit the walks. Meanwhile, Jay App, this is a guy that's given up more than two home runs per nine innings. He has not been doing a great job in that regard. So somehow, a 10-7 record with a 5.40 ERA, but Take a look at what he's done in the month of August. He's given up four earned runs or more in two out of his three starts. And you even date it back to July. He's given up fewer than three earned runs in just one out of his last five starts. Now, we do know with the New York Yankees, he's backed up by a very good bullpen. Guys like Tommy Canely, Adam Adovino, Zach Britton, Aroldis Chapman, they're all very serviceable. But the Oakland A's have guys like Blake Tryon, Jake Diekman that are all doing a solid job as well. And then with the Oakland A's, this is a team that does a very, very good job of being able to hit left-handed pitching. In regards to batting average, they're in the top seven in the league with regards to being able to hit lefties against righties. They're in the bottom seven of the league in that regard. And with the Oakland A's, you do have a very balanced lineup. Robbie Grossman, Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, Mark Canna, 
Stephen Piscotti, Corbin Joseph, and Jeff Feagley. All guys hitting in that neighborhood of a 245 to a 262. And in the case of Matt Olson and Matt Chapman, they've been supplying the power. A combined 54 home runs between the two of them. Marcus Simeon has been terrific at the leadoff spot. 21 home runs, 271 average. This team is still surviving without Ramon Loreno. Keep in mind, now the catcher spot with Chris Herman. Been a little bit of an issue. And whenever you get direct and profile out there, he's been awful. And Chris Davis, hitting at 222. He's got like seven home runs since the beginning of the month of April. He has just been a complete hot mess, but... Pets say you're getting a lot of production. And for the New York Yankees, doesn't matter who they trot out there, they're getting production. Cameron Maben is hitting above a 300. D.D. Gregorius and Adam Judge, both hitting between a 260 and a 265. Got to feel like that's going to take upwards sometime because right now, Gio Urshel and D.J. LeMayu are carrying the lineup. Both these guys are hitting above a 335. Urshel, 18 home runs. D.J. LeMayu, 21. And LeMayu, 86 RBI. That is insane. Gary Sanchez is hitting a 235 with 27 home runs. Gleyber Torres, 29 diggers, 282 batting average there. Austin Romine, whenever you get him behind the dish, he's been solid, 275 batting average. And Mike Talkman. Even as hitting a 290 with some home runs. So you do have a very powerful Yankees lineup. I know that with the Yankees, they are the top over team on the road this year with over two-thirds of their games on the road being played to the over. But I do think that Mike Fires is going to be able to cool them off. I think that Jay Happ is certainly going to give up a couple runs, but I do think that the A's are going to be able to prevail in this one. I think that working in Jay Happ's favor is the fact that the Marine layer is going to be out since this is a night game. So maybe a home run that would typically go out on a day game gets left in the park, and I think that that's going to be a big advantage to under players. So for that reason, looking at the A's and the under, I think a little bit of public money is going to be coming in on the Yankees, so I'm going to wait and see mode there. I'm looking to see how much this total ticks down because it started out at 10, it went down to 9.5, and now we're seeing a little bit more buyback on the over, so I'm in wait and see mode there. 925-926 on the banking rotation. The Boston Red Sox play also the Philadelphia Phillies. Drew Smiley goes for the Phillies. Meanwhile, Rick Porcello goes for the Boston Red Sox. Total on this game is 12. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the Phillies, plus price here is anywhere between plus 142 and plus 152. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it with the Red Sox, anywhere between minus 152 and minus 165. And I just can't get behind Drew Smiley. Now, I know that with the Philadelphia Phillies, he has looked significantly better, but I just still remember with the Texas Rangers, ERA was north of nine. He was giving up nearly two and a half home runs per nine innings, nearly six walks per nine. Guy was a complete hot mess. And I will say this for Rick Porcell, he has actually been doing a solid job recently. 549 ERA for the year is not good, but somehow, some way, he's 11 and nine. And in two out of his last three starts, he's won six innings, giving up one run. He's been doing a little bit of a better job at home. And for Drew Smiley, in his starts with the Philadelphia Phillies, right around a 471 ERA. He's been yo-yoing good and bad starts. And with this Boston Red Sox lineup, you certainly do have a bunch of fearsome bats that are generating a lot of power. J.D. Martinez has went deep 29 times. He, Rafael Devers, and Xander Bogarts are all guys hitting between a 307 and in the case of Rafael Devers up to a 331 as Devers has 27 home runs of his own. Xander Bogarts has been slowing down a little bit, but he still has 27 dingers. Then you got Mookie Betts and Andrew Benatendi along with Christian Vasquez hitting between a 280 and a 285. You're even getting Brock Holt hitting above a 300. Jackie Bradley Jr. is only hitting a 222, but Mitch Moreland has been hitting right around a 275 since coming off the injured list. He was hitting a 225 before going on it, so that's a welcome sight. You're even getting Marco Hernandez who's able to give some good at-bats. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, this is a team that is seventh worst in the big leagues in regards to runs per game ever since the All-Star break. But you do have some guys that are doing a decent job of getting on base. Corey Dickerson, 295 batting average. 
Gene Segura, Cesar Hernandez, JT Riamuto, only between a 278 and a 285. In the case of Riamuto, he's been doing a good job of being able to supply some power. Reese Hoskins has 24 home runs, but his batting average is zipped to right around a 240. Still getting on base right around a 370 on base, but he has not been good ever since the All-Star break. But Bryce Harper seems to be coming alive. That walk-off grand slam was big. 255 batting average, 90 RBI, 26 home runs. A lot of strikeouts too, though. I will say that Adam Hazili is hitting a 250. It's Scott Kingery at 270 as well, so you got some decent pieces there. And ever since the All-Star break, the Philadelphia Phillies have a top half of the league bullpen with regards to ERA. And the Boston Red Sox, surprisingly enough, their bullpen ERA right around 4-4 for the year. So they've been solid there. And Rick Purcell, despite the fact that he's given up runs of plenty, has actually been doing a solid job of being able to do supply innings. So for that reason, we're going to be going with this total under. And I do think that Drew Smiley is going to be getting lit up up. So for that reason, looking at the Red Sox on the run line, keep in mind the Red Sox top over team out there in baseball, and over 60% of their games have gone over, so they certainly know how to score runs. I just think that this is a little bit of an overinflated line, so in Wayne Seymour to try to get favorable juice on that 12, but with the run line getting back to that, that is plus 125 for the Red Sox. I've already locked that one in. 927-928 on the bank rotation. The New York Reds play also the Cleveland Indians. Adam Blutko goes for the Indians. Marcus Stroman for the New York Mets. Your total on this game is 9. The over is just of anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the Mets, you're laying anywhere between minus 152 and minus 160. Seeing a minus 150 out there as well. That just flashed up on the screen. Meanwhile, with the Indians, your plus price is anywhere between plus 140 and plus 148. Marcus Stroman has not necessarily looked comfortable with the New York Mets. I know a couple of people have mentioned this. Marcus Stroman, not much of a strikeout guy. And the New York Mets are one of the worst teams at being able to field ground balls. And Marcus Stroman is one of the higher ground ball rates out there in the big leagues. That's why over the course of his first three starts, he's got a 5.17 ERA. He's done a good job of being able to limit the long ball for the year, but he's given up three home runs in his first 15 and two-thirds innings with the Mets. Meanwhile, for Adam Pluko, this is a guy that's been a little bit hot and cold, but he seems to be finding a little bit more of his watermark. He has given up more than three earned runs in just one start ever since July 15th, so he's doing a little bit of a better job there, and even in the month of June, he gave up more than two earned runs in just one start. Now, I will say the home runs, whew, that's an issue. He's given up over two home runs per nine innings. He's done a good job of limiting walks, so he's giving up Right around 1.4 walks per nine innings. Not much of a swing and miss guy. And Marcus Stroman, though he's registering more than a strikeout per inning with the Mets, all in all for the year has not necessarily been that as well. But with the Cleveland Indians, you certainly do have some power bats in the lineup. And this is a newly revamped Cleveland Indians team as Femio Reyes has 29 home runs. He's hitting just below a 250. But then you've got Carlos Santana. He's got 29 home runs, 290 batting average there. Yasiel Puig hitting more around to 260. He's got 24 or 25 home runs himself. Jose Ramirez and Jason Kipnis are both up their averages above a 250 after very bad starts of the year. Roberto Perez is only a 226, but I do like the fact that he's got 20 home runs. And then you've, you've even got Gregory Allen, who's now hitting right around a 240. Francisco Lindor at the top of the lineup, hitting nearly a 300. 21 home runs for him. He's been solid. Oscar Mercado's delivering a 280 batting average. Even when you needed a guy like Mike Freeman, he's able to come off the bench and do a solid job. Meanwhile, the New York Mets, this is a team that is clearly missing. Jeff McNeil has got a batting average above a 300. On base percentage right around 400. But then you still have Pete Alonso and Michael Conforto, who are both mashing. Both these guys hitting between a 260 and a 270. Pete Alonso, 40 home runs. 
over 90 RBI. Michael Conforto hit his 27th home run of the year yesterday. Wilson Ramos is hitting a 280. J.D. Davis is hitting well above a 300. And Amit Rosario, 290. That came out of nowhere. Do need a little bit more of the Todd Father and Joe Panic. Both these guys hitting between a 233 and a 243. And then Juan Lagares hitting just a 212. That's been absolutely woeful. But all in all, for the New York Mets, they are getting some good production out of the lineup. And I do think that Anna Pluko is going to be pitching in a little bit more of a pitcher-friendly ballpark, which I think is big. And I think that the Indians are going to be able to do just enough against Marcus Stroman to be able to get him out of the game. And with the New York Mets, they do have a bullpen that has been above league average ever since the All-Star break, but you got to feel like that is built on sand a little bit. I think there's going to be some regression there. And for the Cleveland Indians, top bullpen ERA in the big leagues, they have been good all year long, and I trust in them a lot more. So for that reason, looking at the Indians with the plus price and the total over, was in wait and see mode on this Indians price, but I'm seeing some money coming in on them, so I'm probably going to be firing this in right when I get off this podcast. And with regards to the over, currently waiting to see if I'm able to get a little bit more more of something unjuiced, trying to see if this goes to even or minus 105. And we wrap things up with 929-930 on the bank rotation. The LA Dodgers play also the Toronto Blue Jays. Jacob Wagaspak goes for the Toronto Blue Jays. Walker Buehler for the LA Dodgers. Your total on this game is 8.5. Over is used to minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Dodgers, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus $3 and minus 3.30. Meanwhile, the plus price on the Blue Jays is anywhere between plus 260 and plus 270. Walker Buehler is a very good pitcher, and believe me, he is much more dominant at home than he is on the road, but this is a very hefty price to lay, even with a Dodgers team that has been by far the most dominant team at home so far this year. The Dodgers, going into Tuesday, their home record, 48-16, and 16, but I will say this for the Toronto Blue Jays, they're actually better on the road than they are at home. 27-36 and 36 going into Tuesday on the road. At home, this is a team that is 25-39. and 39. And this team really dodged a bullet as Flagger or Jr. went out of a game a couple days ago. He was back in the lineup yesterday. That's big because he's hitting a 275. Only other player that was hitting above 240 going into yesterday's game in the starting lineup was Bo Bichette. He's hitting a 333. And he's been doing just a great job for the team in general in pretty much all aspects, aside from fielding. His fielding has been a little bit suspect. You need to get more out of the catcher spot for the Toronto Blue Jays as he, as all these catchers, along with Derek Fisher, and Kevon Biggio, along with Brandon Jury, are hitting a 230 or lower. And then you got a lot of guys that are still hitting below a 225, and guys like Teoscar Hernandez, Justin Spoke, and company. But with Justin Spoke, Teoscar Hernandez, Randall Gritchick, and Lords Goriel, who's currently on the injured list, you're probably not going to see Goriel for quite a while. They're all hitting 19 plus home runs. They're getting a lot of hard contact there. And with the Dodgers, we all know that they've got a very good lineup as well. Jock Peterson hitting at 235 and 24 home runs, but he seems to have slowed down. Cody Bellinger, there's no slowing down with him. 317 batting average, 42 home runs. Will Smith averaging a home run every eight at-bats going into Tuesday's game for the Dodgers. He's hitting at 325. Max Muncy and A.J. Pollock both hitting between a 258 and a 268 along with Corey Seager. And you've got 31 home runs with Muncy, but... What are you going to get out of Kike Hernandez? He just came off the injury list. For the year, he's been hitting at 240. It's not been a good year for him. And Chris Taylor hitting right around at 260. He's been a little bit in and out of the lineup as well. But with the Toronto Blue Jays, another thing that I like, top eight bullpen in regards to ERA ever since the All-Star break. With the Dodgers, they certainly have been doing a better job with their bullpen as well. Third best bullpen ERA in the National League. Guys like Casey Sadler and company have stepped up, but you still have your trepidations with Kenley Jansen, who has been giving up a lot of leads, especially at home. I think that the Toronto Blue Jays have just enough firepower to get to Walker Beeler, a guy that 
though he has a 10-3 record, does have a 3-3-1 ERA. He has not been giving up a whole lot of home runs. He's not been giving up a ton of walks, but we saw it in his last start against the Miami Marlins. He winds up giving up five runs in four innings. He is prone to those sorts of outings as he has given up four earned runs or more in two out of his last four starts. And then with Jacob Waga's pack, He's giving up right around 1.2 home runs per nine innings. He does a good job of being able to keep games out in front of him. You do want to note that with Waga's pack, they have been using an opener for him quite a bit. So you do want to double check your ticket beforehand, but he's given up more than three earned runs just once so far this year as well. So for that reason, we are going to be looking at the Mundo price with the Toronto Blue Jays and this total under. With regards to the under, currently in wait and see mode to see if I'm able to get a little bit of better juice because I'm noticing that the money has been on the over. Meanwhile, I don't think that a whole lot of public betters are going to be taking the Toronto Blue Jays, so looking to see what kind of a plus price I'm able to get there. And that will do it for the Wednesday edition of MLB Overtime Betting. Big thanks to our man Christian Pina of the Sports Gambling Podcast Network and the Inside Vegas Podcast for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from the Spine Podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you ever have a question for the podcast, feel free to tweet into the timeline at GNRSQuarty1. And let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. Yeah.